Ahoy! Hello, welcome along to the Fun Kids Science Weekly, the greatest podcast in the universe. It is back to search out some more science. My name is Dan, thanks for listening. This week, we'll look at a tiny creature that likes to control some minds. Also, brilliant news, we've got a new big dinosaur to chat about. I love a big dinosaur, always ready to get them on the show. And the questions this week are about bones plants and bright stars we'll get to those after we try and get our alien friends back home this is nng hey nng i need some energy expertise at your service so what's up you guys know i'm working really hard to be a smart meter motivator I get how saving energy and preventing waste is important. But how is a home smart meter? Well, smart. Is it like a supercomputer with a brain that can do a million calculations an hour? It's much simpler than that. Okay. Could it be a world grandmaster at chess? Smart meters are too busy to play chess. Come on, let's find out more. We're deep inside the pipes and cables which bring energy into the home. Coming up to the smart meter now. Here we have it. Smart meters take the place of the old meters and measure all the energy used in the home. Wow. Does that include the energy I use to run up and down the stairs? <laughs> I'm afraid not. Just the stuff that comes through the pipes and wires. So this smart meter is in the same place as the old meter. Just smarter, right? Sure is. It communicates with the power companies using radio waves. So Gran shouldn't have to take a reading ever again. And there's more. Come on. With your smart meter, you'll get an easy-to-read energy display that you can place anywhere around the house. Gran's friend Kathy has a smart thermostat to turn the heating on and off. Is that the same thing as an energy display? No! The energy display can't make any changes to the heating or turn anything on or off. It simply communicates with the smart meter and shows you exactly what's been used. Go on, check it out. So I get it. It's showing how much gas has been used today, this month and this year. And electricity too. Have a good look around. Poke away. I can see how much the electricity costs and what's being used at this very moment. And I definitely can't turn anything off by accident? No chance! If you want to turn things on or off, you still have to get up on your feet and use your fingers! This is cool. It's easier to use than a mobile phone. Gran and Grandad would love to see what they're using, because they hate waste. Did you know? She's got a drawer of wrapping paper of old presents. She even irons it. Supremely sensible, Earthling, if you ask me. And the colossally clever thing about this display is that by seeing your usage, it can help you find out which appliances are guzzling the most energy. Yeah, and shows the difference it can make when we remember to turn the lights off. So now you know more about smart meters. You can be a meter motivator. Time we were off too. Watch out. Looks like we're going to fuse, G. Time for us to pop. Here it comes. Woohoo! I love a bit of fusion. See you, kid. Bye, NNG. And thanks. Here it comes. Find out how you can be a meter motivator with NNG. With support from Smart Energy GB. Find out more at funkinslide.com slash energy. 
Before we get to the questions this week, remember, there's still a chance for you to get your tickets to come along and see Fun Kids Science Weekly live. We are doing a live show with special guests, genius experts, some experiments as well. It's happening at the end of August in London on a Friday at two o'clock. I would love to see you there. You can get your tickets to Fun Kids Science Weekly Live right now over at funkidslive.com. Now, our first question this week. Remember, if you've got a question, leave it as a review for me on Apple Podcasts. I'll do my best to search out the science answer. First one this week comes from Espion, who's in Durham, who wants to know what are bones made out of? Now, bones are made of a mix of a protein, which is called collagen, and a mineral called calcium phosphate, which keeps them hard and strong. That's why your mum and dad might ask you to eat and drink a lot of calcium-rich foods to help keep them strong. Now, they make bone tissues together, and there are two types of these tissues. Compact bone, that's on the outside, and it's the strong part that has blood vessels and nerves which protects them. And inside there, you've got the cancellous bone, which is a spongy bit in the middle. Now, there is something called bone marrow in the cancellous bone. And in bone marrow, your body makes blood. So good job. You've got the strong, compact outside bone uh, to keep that safe. Thank you for the question, Espion. This one is from Oliver, who's in Hales Owen, who wants to know, why does water help plants grow? Now, water helps move nutrients around the plant. The plant sucks all of the good things that it needs to stay alive from the soil, and then it moves them around the plant, all over it, like the leaves and the uh, the, the head and all the petals. It moves them around that uh, with water, so every part gets what it needs to survive and thrive. And that's why when you see a plant doesn't have a lot of water, the leaves tend to droop because it's not getting enough of the nutrients because there's no water to take it there. Thank you for the question. Oliver, lastly today, we've got one from Advate, uh, uh, a name on Apple Podcasts, who wants to know, how far would it take to get to the star Sirius? Now, Sirius is the brightest star in the night sky. It's not the North Star. But it's the brightest star in the night sky. It's 25 times brighter than our sun, and it is 8.6 light years away. Now, a light year is the amount of distance that light travels in one year. It's about 6 trillion miles, which is a 6 with 12 zeros behind it. Now, the star Sirius is 51 trillion miles away. Uh, So Voyager 2, which is a space probe, that was launched in 1977, it's, it travels at about 40,000 miles an hour. And it's going to take 296,000 years to reach Sirius. So that's how long it would take you, Adve. Longer than 296,000 years. It's a long time. Thank you for the question. If you've got something science that you want answered next week on the show, you need to leave it as a review for us over on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Now, Code Ninja classes, uh, they teach you everything about designing tech, all the way from coding, the basics, right the way through to kind of building apps, building games. We're going to find out all about it this week. Ardavan is from Code Ninjas uh, and he's on the line to tell us more. Hello, Ardavan. Hi. Hi, Dan. That's the summary of what Code Ninjas is. But tell us about, tell us a bit more about it and, and what your role in Code Ninjas is. Sure, sure. Um, as you said, uh, we help uh, our kids from the age of 5 to 15 to build apps, play games, troubleshoot games. So 
whether it's very basics to all the way to very extreme, <laughs> difficult challenges. We help them through STEM activities. So it's involved with everything from school, but it's just presenting it in a new, safe environment, making sure they're having fun while they're learning. That's literally our mantra. Now, you're talking about the basics of coding there. What about the very basics of it? So uh, what are these codes that we do with coding? What do they help us see? What do they help us do when we're online and playing games? Excellent question. Um, so at the very, very basic, um, you actually do drag and drop. So you don't actually do any coding. And you've got to understand that like, we all have this uh, perception of coding that is horrible is really hard and tricky but again here we made it very colorful for the kids and we make it very entertaining very engaging with our lovely sensei now you're going to hear me say senseis dojo and ninjas a lot that's because we follow the karate theme so senseis are our lovely teachers the ninjas are the um children and the dojo is our own made lovely area for kids to learn so and um, we make sure they start from drag and drop and then eventually slowly slowly gradually they will learn different programming languages such as javascript python c sharp etc it gets you know it goes really deep into highly advanced uh, programming languages and again we need these skills to be able to make these games so you may have played some very simple games um, and that's all to do with coding to a very advanced games on your consoles or you know on your laptop or pc it's all um, done through coding so it's it's amazing opportunity for us to bring kids in a very engaging fun environment to in introduce them not just to play the game but also learn how the games are made <laughs> And how does it work for me on the screen as a player? So when I'm playing a, a game and, and I move my character maybe to the left, to the right, if I'm playing FIFA, I'll get them to, to try and score. Uh, how is coding? How is, what is telling the characters to do that? What is the code in the computer that's letting them do that? Exactly. It's all behind the scenes. So we all, we all get to see the end product, which is lovely, as you mentioned on FIFA, that somebody's scoring a goal or moving right or left. And our, on our end, we teach the kids, okay, in order for it to move forward, we need to write a code. In order for it to go left, right, to do much more, for example, 360-degree movement, we need to code it differently. And again, it all starts from a drag and drop, and then slowly, slowly, we build them up into you know, writing their own code, which is the nitty-gritty side of things, and it gets really exciting there because then you can actually play a game, troubleshoot, and see what's wrong with it. You go to the coding side of it, all in one screen, and you start looking at, okay, this isn't quite working. Okay, let's go back to the code. There's a manual and obviously the senseis are there to support all the time. So we allow you to, you know, do your own code, make some mistakes. The best way we learn is by making some lovely mistakes and learn from them. So um, the process is quite um, enjoyable while writing any code you want. So there's all these um, different types of codes for whether it's for going straight, going back, going left, jumping. And we see how it looks visually, but now we we take you to the, it's a bit like a cinema. You go to the back of the cinema to see how the movie's been played. So this is the coding side of it. We go to the back side of it. Okay, you know, whether you start with a bracket, hashtags, all these lovely um, notations that we've got to make sure you start to understand slowly, slowly. So it's a very slow process coding. So for any parents listening, um, you know, it, it's, it is 
um, gradually that, you know, the kids needs to go through this. And at the end of it, as you mentioned earlier, you do get to create your own game. So whatever that may be, um, whatever um, your imagination wants you to take over, that you can create that with Code Ninjas. And, and, and what makes someone a good coder? Interesting question. Um, I think we all have it in us. I mean, even right now, we're having a conversation um, using words and you're decoding it in a way. So um, we, we have this capacity to be a good coder. I mean, the coding has been around since 1950s, so it's, it's nothing really new. It's just now we've, make, we've made it more accessible to children from the age of five, which is something it wasn't av- available uh, in my time, for example. So it's really when you go towards the college and university side of it. But now it's um, available for anyone who wants to learn. And I believe it's, uh, it's easier than a lot of... Um, um, children or parents think um, and it's all about having the right condition just in in general for any 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 learning perspective as long as the conditions are right we can learn um, how great you want to be that's then again um, in the, uh, as an individual you want to okay if you have interest so you want to make something even better and greater then obviously the more time you put the more effort but again it's all possible with us at the moment whoever wants to take this as a fun routine to learn coding or seriously and want to create something a serious project as well so they're both both whatever you want to manifest um, you can with code ninjas i guess uh, and what would happen if we learn coding because we want to make games but then maybe we grow up a little bit and we decide you know game making isn't for me anymore uh, how useful is just having the knowledge of coding what other jobs what other subjects does does that help out with brilliant question um the opportunities are endless then um whether you just build a game and now you know python and now you understand javascript great because the future of uh, the future of our world is going to be based on a lot of um, electronics and robots machineries so there's definitely going to be a surge in demand for a lot of coders, um, not just for gaming. I, I guess it's a great way to get into it because it's fun. You get to play individually with other friends. Now there are games that now online gaming has become very popular. So there's a lot of people joining from all around the world, which wasn't possible um, around my time. So now you can get to meet people and play games and after that, as you said, after we've grown up a little bit, we need to go into the real world. Now we can put our skills into good use by creating apps, for example. Um, there's a lot of our children that are very young and they've already developed you know, apps for, you know, for their friends, for just communication purposes. So this is great. So now that you go into a work environment and there's going to be a surge of demand for a lot of coders. I mean, in every industry you look at, whether it's from the transportation from education from finance there's going to be a surge of demand for coders i believe and it already is i think it's going to be even more um, in the next five to seven years how can we join how can we get coding lessons from you um the, stu- uh, the studio is, is just opened up it's actually in potter's bar and um, i'm I believe we do have one in Hammersmith, but ours is actually in Potter's Bar. And um, at the moment, uh, we are running uh, classes, after-school classes, so from 4 to 7 p.m. You can 
get in touch through our website and find the nearest code ninjas um, to the parents. Um, as I said, ours is in Potter's Bar. And we do have camps. At the moment, we're running a camp uh, for the half term. It's an all-day camp. We can drop the kids in the morning and pick them up in the afternoon. And obviously, we've got summer camps coming up, which is, and again, a great way to introduce a lot of children, especially young children, into coding. Now, if any parents want to find out, they can just go to um, codeninjas.com and just put Potter's Bar and get in touch with us, send us a, an inquiry, and someone will get back to them. Amazing. Ardavan from Code Ninjas, thank you so much for joining us. For this week's Dangerous Dan, we've got another parasite. Now, these are tiny microorganisms, and their only job is to survive. And to make that happen, quite often they do something disgusting. The one today is Toxoplasma. It's known as the mind control bug. It infects rodents, so rats and mice, things like that. And rodents are normally scared of cats, aren't they? You would be too, if that was the main thing that ate you. The problem is, this parasite, when it gets swallowed by a rodent... It stops them being afraid of cats. It warps their mind to think that they like them. So they go out. The rodents, they pretty much walk right up to cats and say, hello, let's have a chat. Mm, Not going to end well for you. The victim is easily caught and eaten. And the parasite has done its job. It passes through the cat. It doesn't affect them. It just passes through. It gets onto the ground. It's eaten by another rodent. And the whole mind-controlling cycle starts again. It's time to look about the weather right now. It's been a boiling hot week here in the UK. I hope it's been sunny wherever you're listening. We're looking at the weather with our genius guru. This is Marina Ventura. Marina Ventura's Climate Explorers. Hi there. Marina Ventura here. I love finding out about the natural world, and that includes the Earth's climate. We know that weather can change from one day to the next, but climates can change too over the time span of years, centuries, or even longer. So I'm on a mission to fill MapApp with the latest climate information with the help of some awesome climate explorers. Come on then, let's go! We are lucky that most of us live in comfortable homes and have enough to eat. Just imagine if we didn't. What would we do? Maybe we'd move somewhere else, if we could. But what if we couldn't? Now, other than our pampered pets, animals don't live in houses, but they do have habitats. Places that are safe and comfortable for them to live in with enough sources of food to keep them going. As climates change, these habitats can change too. Isn't that right, Maffy? It certainly is. Animals and plant life are affected by climate change just as much as humans can be. And whilst most species can cope and adapt with gradual changes, rapid changes and the loss of natural habitats can create challenges for wildlife. Let's find out more from someone who studies a very interesting animal in a very beautiful place. Hi, I'm Rose and I'm a conservation scientist. I study animals and the food they eat and that's something that can change as the climate changes. Changing climates can affect wildlife in lots of ways. Some animals, like frogs and newts, are very sensitive to temperature and may die if their homes become much warmer or colder. 
changing climate may affect the vegetation that grows and this might mean that there isn't enough for the animals to eat or may mean that animals can't safely nest or build homes. Sometimes the animals might be able to migrate or move to a new habitat but if not, animals can be short of food and may die out. I work on tropical islands and study the Aldabra giant tortoise, carefully looking at what they eat so we can understand what we call food webs. What's eating what or who's eating who? But there must be a lot of tortoises to study. How on earth do you figure out what they've had for dinner? It's the poo that tells us what the tortoises had to eat. We look at the plant's DNA found in the poo and this tells us exactly which plants the tortoises have been eating. Food webs can give us information about the effect of climate change on animal populations and how they are changing too. So how has the change in climate affected the tortoises? Well, the island where these tortoises came from originally is called the Aldabra Atoll. It's a place in the Indian Ocean that's at risk of being submerged because of rising sea levels. If this happens, these tortoises could die out. Luckily, some tortoises have been moved by scientists to other islands in the Indian Ocean where different types of tortoises have already become extinct. We're looking at what the tortoises eat in their new homes to see how their presence affects the food web. Lucky tortoises having you on their side. Thanks, Rose. We share the world with millions of varieties of plants and animals, and all of them are affected by changes in the climate. And we might not think they affect us, but don't forget, humans are part of a food web too. All this talk of food is making me hungry for an upload. Ready, Mappy? Load me up. Next time, we'll be looking at what you can do to help reduce the impact we have on our environment. Marina Ventura's Climate Explorers, supported by the Natural Environment Research Council, the science of the natural world. Find out more at funkidslive.com slash marina. Right, it's time for this week's Science in the News. Scientists say a new dinosaur found in Australia is the largest ever found there. It's among the biggest 15 dinos ever. It's called... <laughs> listen to this. What do you call a big dinosaur from Australia? Hmm, this one's called Australiotitan. Australotitan, which means southern titan. It was, was six and a half metres tall, 30 metres long, which is about the size of a basketball court. Also, a microscopic organism has survived 24,000 years of being frozen in Russia. It was found in a river in the Siberian Arctic and it thawed out and it returned to life. Now, it's known as the Deloid Rotifer, with a silent B before Deloid, by the way. And it was thought before that it could be frozen for 10 years and survived. They got that little bit wrong. One's been found after 24,000 years and it's still full of life. And finally, experts have found that humans lived in the Amazon rainforests for 5,000 years, perfectly fine and sustainably without help. Uh, Experts have searched layers of soil for human fossils and it showed that the forests were not cleared or farmed while they were there and the tribes lived with nature sustainably, which they hope could be a lesson for modern conservation. And that is it for this week's Fun Kids Science Weekly. Remember, if you want to kind of finish your summer holidays by seeing this show live, uh, check out the Fun Kids Science Weekly live. You can get your tickets right now at funkidslive.com. While you're there, it's one of the best places that you can hear loads of our science podcasts. We've got loads more for you there as well. You can get them on the website, on the free Fun Kids app, and wherever you normally get your podcasts. Now, if one of the places where you get your podcasts is Apple, leave us a review while you're there. 
leave your question in that review and I'll try and answer it next week. And Fun Kids, we're a children's radio station from the UK. You can hear us all around the country on your DB Digital Radio, on that free Fun Kids app and at funkidslive.com. 